Word on the street is that death metal is in. Whoa. <laughs> in where? I have no idea. This is the street. I rarely have my ear to it, but I'm sure you have your ears here. Welcome yeah. to the heavy hole. Yeah. Uh, this is. Who are you? <laughs> I don't what, know. what have you done with Tom? What's going on? I'm working on it, man. I'm trying to slow down my brain to match my mouth. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Do we even acknowledge that Justin's not here anymore? No, or do just we just move along. This is the show now. Yeah. This is our podcast now without mm-hmm. Justin. He'll show up. We don't know when. He's like he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be like a guest. Is that what he's waiting for? He's waiting to, to return to the show as a guest and kind of like look down on us <laughs> and ask and us. Yeah, be like really pompous. <laughs> I was sure would live closer. Just yeah. make him our our other co-host here. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't don't start talking about. It. He's not gonna drop in from the sky like last time, guys. All right. Um, but look, someone who might drop in from the sky. Ooh. Any random member of Norwegian eclectic metal band, she said destroy. We're going to talk to that band today. We're going to go to Norway. Norway? Uh, yeah. Heard there's a lot of death metal there. It's not what you think, and we're going to prove it. All right, let's hit the Norway streets. And Snorri from She Said Destroy. And I should mm-hmm. say, uh, Anders, you're also notable for being in the band Beaten to Death. Yeah, that's right. And Snorri, if I got it right, you're also, um, I guess I could say, an engineer or a producer at um, Ymir Studios? Yeah, my my job is, like, I, I run a studio. And uh, so I'm a producer, engineer, mixing engineer, studio musician. I pronounced the name of the studio correctly? Yeah, Ymir Audio is the name, yeah. That's oh. the name of the studio, but yeah, it's it doesn't really matter. It's completely fine. <laughs> okay, man. I just like to try to get everything as right as I can. It's like I told you guys behind the scenes. I'm from New York. I do the best I can with pronunciation, <laughs> with, with pronouncing English, let alone other languages. But um, the band... Well, you're, do- you're doing good, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. So the band is, I guess we could say She Said Destroy is a band of Norwegian origin. Right? It's a Norwegian band. Would you say that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I make that clarification because I understand that members of the band have spread out in different parts of Europe through the years, right? Yeah, that's right. So, but uh, it it, uh, consists of uh, Norwegians. uh, All all of the members are Norwegian. Of course. All right. uh, Yeah. And um, I got I got a credit. Um, uh, it's funny that because this is totally coincident that I'm um, crediting uh, uh, Dreams of Consciousness podcast uh, and Adrian uh, with research because oh, he, he yeah. recently yeah. had you on on his program. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's, coincidentally, we had uh, the band Succumb from California on our podcast last week, and, oh, and right. it's like I'm always two steps behind Adrian on the interviews the last few weeks. But it's not. <laughs> it's totally a coincidence. 
Um, mm. But I have to, I have to, I do have to credit him with the research. So I learned from that podcast that um, the band she said destroy can credit uh, its its origins to the year 1999 in Oslo, Norway. Uh, mm. Is it true at a concert of Neurosis Voivod? And today is the day. Well, that was kind of uh, the the evening that planted the idea of uh, starting the band in my head. Yeah, so that's right. We we started. Uh, the first lineup of the band started in the summer of 2000, I, I believe. But uh, I, the, I, that was uh, late 1999. That was uh, uh, that was when I kind of started working on the idea to start the band. Mm. Okay, and I have I, I, I did not know this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was not aware of this. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, this was. I mean, yeah, Snore. When did you join? Was that 2004 or five? Uh, I think it was 2000, uh, yeah, I think it was early 2005, yeah. before the first album. Yeah, so that, yeah, we had a couple of years before that, so. Mm. Okay, well, I, I'm glad because when I have more than one guest from a band, you know, we, we usually mm. start way at the beginning, but I want to see where you guys meet. So do you guys actually meet because Snorre joins the band? We uh, no, we uh, we met because uh, Snorri played in an, in a, another band called Left Among the Living, and we did some shows together. I think that was the first time we met, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think we actually I met. I think we actually met at the bar where my girlfriend at the time was working as a bartender, and uh, right. yeah. and we met we met there, and Anders was wearing a T-shirt with the. Uh, I don't know some sort of grindcore band. I can't remember which one. So we started talking, and then, and then we also played a few gigs. Uh, like I played in a different band, as he said, and uh, and then at some point they ended up needing a new guitar player. So you know that's when we started like talking more, and then I joined the band. And also uh, before you joined the band, uh, uh, and with that transition to you. Uh, to uh, us needing a new guitar player, we, we, I, I remember that we kind of uh, uh, realized that we had a lot of, you know, the same views on, on how to run a band and also what kind of music we wanted to do and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, th well. Then knowing that that's how you guys meet, I'll ask. I'll start with Anders, and we'll go in alphabetical order. I'll start with Anders, mm. and then we'll go with uh, Snorter next, and ask the same questions. Basically, the typical heavy hole podcast question: uh, mm. Are you from a family of musicians, or is there anyone in your upbringing that steers you towards hard rock and heavy metal? Mm. Okay, so you want to start with me? Yeah. Yeah. If one of you wants to go yeah, first, sure. and then yeah. we'll go with the next one. Well. um... I uh, my my father is a musician, but uh, more of like a hobby musician. Uh, he used to play actively in his teens, and he's a guitar player. So um, when I uh, but I was not stared in the, any direction of heavy music uh, from the family, no. Um, but uh, when I started listening to heavy music, this was when I was twelve years old, I guess eleven, twelve. Um, I was also encouraged to uh, start playing guitar by him, and uh, I guess he bought me a guitar, one of those uh, Fender Strat copies, 
nice. at the local guitar shop and uh, and uh, kind of took it from there. Um, but uh, and uh, I think that like the first things I learned on guitar was from him. Like I, but it it had nothing to do with heavy music. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. well, let me ask you this, and 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 I will ask the same of Snorter when I get to you, um, not to neglect you. But uh, you, I, I had heard you mention in the Dreams of Consciousness interview a little bit about how growing up in your generation, the so-called second wave of black metal in the late 90s was at its height. That's obviously something that people have a, a big, um, maybe a misconception or at least uh, like a notorious uh, uh, idea of, uh, you know, um, associating Norway with throughout the world with the metal scene. For, for you, growing up and getting into, into heavy music... You mentioned on the on that other podcast about how it was maybe a little bit exclusive in that scene. Maybe people were a little bit hard to um, to get along with as a younger person trying to be accepted in that mm -hmm. scene. Could you touch on that a little bit and how it may have affected yeah, sure, sure. Your, your development in terms of like breaking breaking out of that genre a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, this was back in uh, I think I as I said on that podcast I got into black metal in '94. Uh, I, I, I think I started listening to heavy music in 92, so it was quite a fast development going from, you know, like your typical Metallica and stuff like that through whatever, ending up on death metal and grindcore, and then this whole black metal thing uh, started happening in Norway, and it was, uh, of course, extremely exciting for uh, a 14-year-old kid, because it was kind of surrounded by mystique, uh, people seemed, it, 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 was a, it was a bit scary at the same time, you know, uh, and there was a lot of imagery that was kind of scary and but still cool looking and this was all happening locally and so I, I, I just got, I, I, I got super into it and me and my uh, Friends started a black metal band, and uh, you know we started hanging around, uh, uh, going to shows and stuff like that. And of course, the whole idea of that scene was to kind of they they tried to be exclusive and they tried to have like this attitude that uh, they kind of wanted to scare you and they didn't want little kids running around even though they kind of still wanted they still wanted to kind of recruit uh, people to the music but at the same time not it, it was uh, super confusing and uh, like it, I mean it's it was like um, at times I, I remember playing a show but in 95 uh, with that black metal band and it was kind of like you know your typical uh, American high school movie where you have the jocks coming in bullying the nerds. Huh. That's what I felt like uh, preparing for that show at this was like this typical school festival with a bunch of metal bands. And there was this other black metal band there that were they were a couple of years older than us and uh, uh, they. We befriended them over time, but at this show, they suddenly uh, decided that they were going to turn the tables around and be complete dicks. And uh, so you, could, you kind of felt like that geek that was sitting there in the by his gym locker, and they're you know kind of you know giving you shit and stealing your clothes or stuff like that. It, it was kind of that feeling to uh, to deal with people 
within that scene. Uh, and this was an actual thing that happened. And I'm not the only one that uh, stuff like this has happened to. Uh, I've talked to other people as well. Uh, and so it, it wasn't a very welcoming experience. Um, but I kind of always, I, I still like the music and everything, but I, I just decided like, you know, this is bullshit. I, huh. I, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, and luckily a lot of these people grew up to be better, better human beings. But um, uh, I think here and there you still have some, some of these dudes uh, still playing black metal that are kind of stuck in that extremely uh, unfriendly sphere, I guess. So it, it was a strange thing to experience. And as I also mentioned on that other podcast, it was, I mean, the thing that people heard about this period outside of Norway was mostly about church burnings and murders. Uh, and although that wasn't kind of what happened every day, it was still, uh, yeah, it was still uh, super weird to uh, to be that close to it. You know? Okay, well, I appreciate your perspective on it. And I would turn now to Snorra just to get um, uh, his input on that. Uh, say, same question to you, Snorra. Are, are you from a musical family? Is there anyone in your upbringing that steers you towards hard rock and heavy metal? And then maybe if you could get into your personal perspective growing up um, as a young Norwegian under that, that kind of notorious uh, music scene that people tend to associate your country with. Well... Um, none of my parents are musicians, but um, my mom used to listen to a lot of music like in the house when I was growing up. And uh, I started playing violin when I was really small, when I was like five, I think. And uh, obviously I didn't play any heavy music on that, but I remember clearly that I saw the video for Sad But True, like that Metallica video. You know, if you remember that video with all the live clips? Mm-hmm. So I saw that on MTV and I remember thinking, I have to do this. Like, this is what I have to do. I need to be able to, like, you know, produce this sound. So I understood immediately that I had to get a guitar because that's what James Hetfield had and I had to be him. So, so I, like, I convinced my dad to buy me a guitar, like one of those, also like Anders had like one of those cheap Strat copies and I just learned how to play basically. And uh, I just, played in these I basically made my friends uh, buy instruments too and we started playing like Metallica covers and uh, I think we played some Nirvana covers and that kind of stuff and um, and then when I was maybe 15 or 16 I joined I think I was 16 I joined a local band that was more of this they played this early metalcore, you know, in the like disembodied uh, turmoil kind of music. Yes. <clears throat> so I got really into hardcore and early metalcore uh, through them, and I never really got into the metal scene. Uh, I was aware of it, of course, because I listened to a lot of metal. But this whole black metal scene happening in Oslo, I was never a part of that, and I never really. I went to a few gigs now and then, but I never really felt that it was for me. Um, and the the first sort of proper metal band that I joined, I guess, was She's a Destroy. But that was only... I was already then... I think I was 23 when I joined. Mm. 
Okay, and on that note, here's something I wanted to ask you about. Maybe you could clarify if I'm correct. I notice your um, your first full-length album, Time Like Vines. Uh, uh, if I got it right, Anders and Snorri, you both are credited with guitar and vocals, whereas by your second full-length, This City Speaks in Tongues, uh, Anders, you've transitioned to just being the vocalist, and Snorter, you've, you've taken over more of the guitar playing and even the, the bass at times. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct, yeah. I don't know who wants to speak, but could you guys speak a little bit to that transition and um yeah, sure. to to just like how that you know how that how that comes to be between the two albums and the places you guys kind of feel you you established in the band around that time mm. okay uh, it, it's it was actually fairly simple what happened with the guitar playing because uh, well um because i at uh, at some point i i contracted tendonitis in both arms <laughs> which uh, made it a bit of a bitch to 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 play guitar. Um, yeah. But yet uh, that was uh, for me that was kind of uh, welcoming. But because at that time um, Snorre had already moved uh, out of Norway, so when we were touring, uh, we uh, uh, the guitar player from his old band uh, Bjorn, he joined in on guitar to do. First to do live stuff, just to play Snorri's parts, and then he kind of joined as a full member and started writing music. So um, uh, when we were about and and both Snorri and Bjorn are uh, much better guitar players than I am. So uh, uh, I it, it was kind of a welcome thing that I I kind of stepped down. I was like I. I, I can't keep up with you guys anymore. Like, uh, so for both al- albums, both the first and second album, I was still uh, writing music, uh, but less and less so. Uh, and I kind of just left it up to to Snoda and Bjorn to uh, to deal with the guitars, actually. Hmm. Um, so yeah. So before that first album, I was the main songwriter, and on that first album, I think I I'm. I guess I'm still credited with most of the songs. Snorri wrote two songs uh, in full for that album. But what happened when he joined was that uh, he is, he has ruined a, everything. He, <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a massive talent in arranging music, uh, which I don't. I I I write riff and I put them together linearly. That's basically how I work. So. Uh, so it, uh, the whole the whole sound of the of the band started changing, and yeah, and uh, I felt very happy with kind of stepping down from playing guitar. Fair enough. And we've heard. Um, uh, sorry to hear about your tendonitis. I, I believe it was Kelly Schaefer of the, the American band Atheist uh, had a sim- mm-hmm. similar story. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he still writes behind the scenes sometimes, but I don't know that he can. Uh, perform because of that, and and we've also we we uh, recently interviewed um, Steve Murray from the American band Flesh Grind. He also yeah. he he took over guitar at a certain point, and and and, the, and their original guitarist just took over vocals for a similar reason. Man, it, it happens, especially in underground bands. And mm. um, now, is do I have it right, uh, Snorri? Is your studio? Are you based out of Lithuania now? Yeah, I am. Uh, my studio is in Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. 
And I really just, I don't really do anything related to metal at all. So uh, our new album is the first metal album that I ever actually record and produce. So so what what do you uh, work on in that studio? Anything that is metal, like everything <laughs> from pop music to like indie music, like anything really. Okay. Like I do a lot of mixing. I, I do a lot of pop. Uh, I do some rock bands. I I make film music. I recently made some uh, like it's the soundtrack for a short film. So. I haven't done anything metal related since our previous release actually and I haven't produced any metal uh, other than the album that just came out. Okay, that's interesting cuz I was listening um today I listened to uh is it Bleeding Fiction the EP? Yeah. The it's w- yeah. T- about 26 minutes and change one song yeah. and the the word that struck me to describe it would have been cinematic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, is is that something you've always wanted to get into? Is like sound soundtracking music and scoring music for film? Not really, but I really like movies, so I'm. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I see now that like a lot of the, a lot of the parts that I write are, well, yeah, I guess you could call them cinematic. It's not that I'm particularly interested in composing for film, but very, very often the way that I write riffs is that I will sit down with a guitar and just I'll put on a movie that is uh, just stupid enough that I could that I don't really have to pay attention to the dialogue, and I'll just play along. I'll just sit and play a guitar randomly, and then once in a while a riff will pop out because I'm not consciously I'm not paying attention to my playing. Very like I think most of the riffs for the new for. for Actually, all of the songs that I've written for this band have been made in this way. Just me sitting with an acoustic guitar and watching some sort of, you know, some movie that is dumb. <laughs> I, I have to ask you to give me at least one example of a movie. Uh, I uh, I think I wrote uh, like several riffs for the new album while watching one of the latest Fast and Furious movies. Although I cannot <laughs> remember which one because I was like barely paying attention. But... Uh, this kind, these kind of movies that are sort of just entertaining to look at visually, but there's no plots to speak of, they're perfect for me to just sit down with a guitar and just make riffs. Huh. It, I always come up with a couple of riffs when I do that. That's, that's interesting. And this yeah. is this is real. This is really unusual now because I told you before, the California band Succumb was on our podcast last week, um, Derek Webster, mm-hmm. and he talked about watching The Fast and the Furious in a hotel room while they were recording their album. Their, I think it was their first album. So I, I love that there's all this synchronicity around The Fast and the Furious. Shout out to Vin Diesel. <laughs> um, it's crazy, man. But 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 I, I, I what I like is that I'm actually a movie fan, and now the only movie that people are going to associate me with if they hear this interview is Fast and the Furious. <laughs> it's like one of the worst <laughs> one of the worst movies ever. <laughs> like that's that's funny. But they're good. It's yeah, a, go ahead. They're entertaining. They're very entertaining. That's that's the thing. Yeah, but it, uh, basically, that was the um, that was the method of writing. I, I don't, and I know that Bjorn. For the new, for the previous album and for the new album, me and Bjorn wrote 50-50. I think I wrote three or four songs for the new one, and then he wrote three or four songs, and then a couple of songs are half me and half his riffs. 
and he tends to write in a similar way as well. He just sits down with an acoustic guitar and messes around while he watches a movie or something. Okay, and does Bjorn also uh, live abroad from from Norway? Yeah, and um, yeah, he does. So uh, well, he's actually, also that's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Sonny. No, 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 yeah, he is also here, and he's a producer too. But uh, he's even more like he <laughs> he likes to make riffs, but he doesn't like to practice like and record them cleanly. So that's why I've ended up playing all of his riffs and all of my riffs on <laughs> all of the albums, just because I have the patience to do that, and he doesn't. So he writes amazing riffs, but then he can't bother to record them properly. Wow. There, that's that happens though, and there's there's a band. I'm not gonna blow up their spot where I don't know if they they would want me to to tell people that they do that. But um, uh, but if you get out in front, who cares, man? Uh, you know, you, you give credit where credits due. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this though, because I'm a little, you know, obviously I, I'm not very familiar with with your part of the world. Um, I'm not. I've never lived in Europe. Uh, with res- with all due respect to your privacy, obviously, but take me through why two young Norwegian um, aspiring music producers uh, moved to Lithuania. What's what's advantageous there? What's the opportunity there? Um, well, I can't speak for him, but I... Basically, I, uh, I wanted to try something else than just metal. I was a bit bored of only doing metal, and uh, so I decided to study music, and I moved to the UK. Uh, so I went to music school in the UK for three years, and while I was studying there, I met my girlfriend, who is from Lithuania, and she's a singer. So uh, I went here on holiday, and I saw that I, well, I had some, I guess, uh, imagination. Like I imagined Lithuania in this sort of stereotypical Eastern European way, which is, you know, my own ignorance. And then when I came here, I realized that it was really, really nice, and. Uh, then uh, when we graduated from our school uh, i wanted to open my own studio and we thought there aren't really any any studios that i would like to work in here like in lithuania so and we found a a spot so we thought let's try it for a year and, and see if it will work out and if not we can go back to norway or go back to the uk and um it worked out and i've been um I've been working with local musicians more or less since then. Sometimes with Norwegians, but mostly with locals. It's a really interesting scene. And what I really like about being here as opposed to Norway is that because this is a post-Soviet country, uh, things change really quickly here, like over the period of 10 years, for example, you can see like a drastic difference in the quality of music that is being produced and even just in the streets, you can see the city really changing around you. Whereas in Norway, things are, you know, things have been pretty okay in Norway for a long time. So you don't get to see the same level of progress. That's interesting. That makes sense. It it makes a lot of sense. And I got to say, um, uh, Paul Speckman from the band Master uh, had mm-hmm. a, he, he expressed a very similar sentiment 
because he relocated from the United States to live in the Czech Republic, where he's lived for many years now. And he, he said something very similar about um, infrastructure and opportunities there when he moved compared to nowadays where there's a little bit more opportunity and uh, things are like a little bit nicer, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like there are obviously, like, there, are, there are certain things that are, are clearly more comfortable in Western Europe, or they were at least at the time when I came here. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was this uh, sense of, people wanting to improve things and people wanting to try to create something new, which I I didn't get that feeling uh, in Norway because Norwegians are very comfortable the way things are. Huh. Okay, man. Now, well, now let me flip that because we kind of, we you, you talked a little bit about your new album, Succession, which I want to get into in depth in a, in a few minutes. Uh, but we left off the Bleeding Fiction EP, the 26-minute-plus uh, epic track in 2012, was your first release as a studio project after you moved. Is that correct? Yeah, because... Uh, well, that was actually... Actually, what well, that was... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. It, it was actually recorded in 2009, wasn't it? So. Mm. Uh, yeah, that we, was we my... Just, yeah. That song was my uh, it was was my it was my final project for my music school actually I I, I started writing loads of riffs and then uh, as I got through as I was listening to those riffs I realized that they all sounded uh, like they belonged to the same kind of song they were in the same key and so I decided to instead of just trying to cut them up into loads of very similar sounding songs I turned it into one long composition and I. Uh, I handed it in the demo for that. I handed it in as my final project for uni. <laughs> That's what that was. And then wow. we decided to to record it as a band. And we recorded it uh, very DIY in a garage in Wales. We recorded all the main instruments there. And then Anish came over to the UK to record the vocals uh, at my university in one of the studios there. And then it was mixed by uh, Gomez uh, from, uh, he's a Colombian producer living in the UK. He, he produces a lot of metal, a lot of famous metal bands. He, he recently did the last Paradise Lost, I think. Um, and that was, the fi- that was the final thing we did for a while. Mm. Yeah, that well, that's what I wanted to get to. Is it's you know, give or take, roughly ten years uh, until you release Succession this year. Then, of if I got this right, um, uh, Anders, you, you've been providing vocals for the band Beaten to Death, who's been fairly active during that whole time. Was it? Yeah, that's right. Was it a natural transition? Was it like you see the writing on the wall that she said Destroy is not going to be playing live much anymore, so you try to get a new band going, or did it just kind of happen naturally? It just kind of happened naturally. Uh, we were gearing down, we we stopped playing live, we, we just, yeah, we... It, it started becoming a bit of a pain in the ass and uh, to keep a live lineup together, uh, because we were in need of session members and stuff, and not everyone was that uh, engaged in the band so we just figured we don't need to do this at least not for a while uh so we'll 
that kind of happened, and then suddenly I got a request to uh, if a request from the guys, the other guys in Bindudaf that they kind of had been playing around with uh, the idea for that band for years, and uh, they really wanted me to try out for the vocals, and that worked out. And that was supposed to be more of a kind of like a fun thing to do, a side project for for all the members of that band. Uh, but then suddenly it kind of that turned into more of a main thing for all of the members of the band. Like, huh. yeah, yeah. So, sometimes, so, um, sometimes the scene decides if it's if it's a main project <laughs> or not. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, uh, like being to death is still. I mean, it, it, um, we've been fairly active. We've been releasing albums and stuff. But it's still, and we've been touring a bit here and there. And but uh, it's still not a very active band. Like. We we kind of steadily release albums, but we uh, we don't play that many shows a year. So it's um, so uh, it, it was more. I think that didn't really get in the way of She's the Destroy. It was more just life in general. Like Snowder was super busy with his studio, and I was working in the bar industry at that time. So I was running bars in Oslo and. Um, we were just, yeah, we were just busy and we kind of forgot about it for a while because I remember we talked about how we at least wanted to do a third full length. Um, and I think both Snod and I, like this this band has been, has always been like the main part of the band since we released the first album. It's always been more or less of a conversation between me and Snod. And uh, so I, I think we kind of felt that we we still had something to we had something to say and we yeah but it just took took us a lot of time (laughs) well fair enough um and now at this point i would just want to clarify are there any aspirations to perform live again uh soon or in the or in the not so immediate future or is it still a studio band well i (laughs) I guess uh, it's it's still a studio band. Like uh, I wouldn't mind playing live. I think Snoda would mind playing live. Yeah, I hate uh, playing live. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the thing. Is uh, it would take a lot of work to get people together to do shows, and also since we're kind of situated in different countries, and now not only Snoda but also Bjorn, for example, who would, and the drummer is also in Lithuania. So uh, it seems like a bit of a mess to get that going, but uh, I I'm keeping the door open for it to happen at some point, but uh, not in the near future now. Like for me, it's just I don't really like I like playing concerts, I like being on stage and performing, but I hate everything else that has to do with gigging, like the traveling, the the late nights, the sound checks, all of that stuff for me is just a, a massive pain in the ass and I really just enjoy making the music and recording it. So, you know, since we play music that no one's going to pay us to do this or no well, one's going to no one's going to pay us to like rehearse and prepare for like a tour and anything. You know, it's just like a, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort for those like very for that short time on stage and uh, it just if, if we got like really great, uh, if we got some sort of fantastic offer to play, you know, I don't know, on bigger stages where we didn't have to do all of that 
uh, all of that non-music related work that goes with touring, then it might be more interesting. But let's be honest, no one's going to offer us that. <laughs> so then it's it's just not worth it. For, from my perspective, it's just it takes all the fun out of it because I just really, really like making this music and listening back to it when it's done. For the other guys, I know it's a bit different. Uh, fair enough, man. I mean, that's that that that's more common than than um, not sometimes with with musicians and especially with underground music slugging it out on the road. It's not always that easy. I, I get it, man. Um, you you know, you got either want it or, or you don't. Um, yeah. But but with that with that being said, before we get too far away from the talk about um, beaten to death, there was something I noticed. Mm. There's, um, there, you know, there's for a band you say that's not um, necessarily very busy. You can create the uh, the good illusion of being busy because you have quite a few releases, a steady mm. stream of releases since 2011 on your Bandcamp that people can check out if they want, and um, really interesting stuff. I don't. It's like when you use the word melodic nowadays, I feel like it has this bad connotation, you know, of like mm. real, like really sappy. You know, tenth wave Swedish death metal or something, but it, it, it's like it's like you can't use the word melodic, but it's like it's like melodic grindcore, but in a really different, differently spun way. Um, and I, I just wanted to touch on on that a little bit. Uh, yeah, you're now you're you're late. You put out four releases in 2020. Uh, yeah, you know where yeah. I'm going with this, and and I'm gonna sound. I might sound a little goofy here because I'm gonna try to say. I, I assume this is Norwegian. No, uh, it's Dutch. Actually. It's Dutch. Okay. Well, I see. I sound stupid even more. All right. So I'm going to leave it up to you, man, because if people are going to start checking out Beaten to Death, maybe as a result of this interview or, or hearing it from from uh, from us, I, I I really want them to to understand what's going on here, man, because I kind of understand it's like these four EPs, and they're all about they're all situated around a different like forest or something. Yeah, it's uh, it was. Uh, I guess it was a bit of a stupid idea. Uh, <laughs> what what, uh, <laughs> what happened was uh, we actually recorded a full album and uh, we released that as uh, a double vinyl. Uh, this being grindcore, the double vinyl was only <laughs> a total of what like thirty five minutes. Yes, um, yeah. But still. Um, and uh, when it came to releasing it digitally, we kind of felt. Okay, let's let's try try to keep keep try to keep uh, people's attention for more than five minutes and kind of spread the music out. And since uh, the title of the album is uh, Dutch, um, it, it's Latmar ik verhuis naar het bos, which means uh, never mind, I'm moving to the forest, which was kind of our attitude at the at, at the time with uh, basically with politics and everything that we were writing about in the band and uh, then we decided okay let's split it up and just name each EP after a forest so that was kind of the idea it it, it wasn't uh, it was it was a fairly shallow concept you might say so (laughs) so yeah in grindcore and I mean not to pigeonhole you as just (laughs) traditional straightforward grindcore in the first place but you know, it's, sometimes you have to come up with a different way to package it or release it to stand out. And I, I you know, I, I thought it was um, uh, pretty, pretty interesting, and it at least made you think mm. and read into it a little bit more. Um, and let's let's talk about the the band's sound. I know you're the the vocalist. Could you speak to a little bit about um, 
where you guys are trying to come from, because to me it sounds like almost like a, a grindcore mixed with like a, a like a screamo metalcore, like early you know early two thousands type of thing. Mm. But then the mm. the melodic parts get go, come really out of nowhere and they sweep you away, man. What's going on? Well, I uh, I think it's just a mix of the influences from the for the different uh, members of the band. Um, uh, we have a tendency of not agreeing on too many bands in beating to death, and um, um, but that whole melodic thing, I think it's 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 kind of because we're into a lot of like uh, a lot of old school death metal and stuff. But we're uh, several of us are also into a lot of indie indie rock music, and that's kind of where that came from. And the whole sound of the band, which is kind of uh, like the guitars are fairly low on distortion and uh, it sounds a bit jangly and twangy. Uh, that came out from us uh, when we we played uh, our early shows. We uh, kind of uh, it, it was probably from that same attitude that Snoda said that he, he was kind of sick and tired of uh, lugging uh, equipment around and um, and uh, everything around playing live. So uh, for a while there, we kind of just decided to be this very. Uh, we were traveling lights. We were a plug-and-play band, so we kind of borrowed uh, equipment uh, wherever we went. And we showed up at this one show where they didn't have. Uh, they didn't have like they they only had a couple of Fender twin amps and there was like no distortion channels or a- anything. So because if you listen to our first album, it's super heavy, but uh, after that, it's uh, the distortion just disappears. <laughs> and so um, and the uh, the guitar players are are playing on these uh, custom baritone uh, Telecasters. So when you put a Telecaster through a uh, Fender Twin Amp, you get this kind of, uh, you know, it sounds more like one of Steve Albini's bands than a grindcore band. Yeah. So so that was kind of where our sound developed uh, from that show, where we just decided, hey, this kind of sounds cool. The only problem with not using that much distortion is you, you kind of have to play, you have to play the riffs correctly because people <laughs> can, yeah, when you, when you mess up. Yeah. Uh, that's the trick. <laughs> mm. let, well, let, let me ask you this, man. And you, you guys could both field this one if you want to take turns. But because, um, like, because here's the thing. Like, like I said before, there's there's this kind of um, uh, people might have a misconception or at least might have an idea of the Norwegian music scene as being dominated by black metal and, and that sort of thing. Have you guys performing music that's more experimental, maybe a little bit more progressive, or, or at least not not uh, thoroughly black metal and cult? Have you ever had any pushback beyond that, what you described before, the kind of like the, the high school jock, you know, bully type of thing? Mm-hmm. As, as a grown adult performing music, is that a thing in Norway, or is that like a misconception too? Well, no, that's not a thing in Norway anymore. I mean, the the black metal scene is uh, more or less uh, alongside any other metal scene, and it's it's more of a, just a mishmash of stuff now. It's uh, you don't really have these kind of purebred scenes anymore. Um, 
And I, I would say that black black metal is not really that. I mean, uh, let's. I mean, if you take a look at black metal in 2021, uh, Norway is not really that important anymore. Like, there's not that many good bands coming out of here anymore. That was oh. uh, a small period in the 90s where 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 Norway was a prominent uh, prominent uh, land uh, country for for black metal, but. Um, but I would say that uh, we're not on the top of our game as a black metal nation <laughs> anymore, if you ask me. Um, and also uh, about the scene of pushback. Um, I do remember, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Snodder, but I do kind of remember that when we started playing shows with She's a Destroy and when we released that first album, we were kind of alone. As a band that didn't really <laughs> the way that there wasn't a, there wasn't an audience. No, well, <laughs> and well, there the, was there wasn't necessarily a big audience for what we were doing, and the metal people thought we were too alternative, and the like the hardcore and punk people thought we were too metal. So it was like we didn't fit in anywhere uh, back in the two thousand, in the, like the early two thousands. I think that would probably be different now if we were playing shows, but um, but still, it's um, yeah, we we kind of always felt like we were a bit outside of any scene with She's a Destroy. There's also this thing in Norway that black metal went from being this dangerous thing in the '90s to becoming this to becoming. Uh, like the music industry in general started taking black metal seriously and now it's this big cultural export so if you play something that is related to black metal or uh, related to some sort of nordic you know viking kind of things then uh, it tends to be it tends to be easier to get support for that um, hmm. like a lot of a lot of culture in norway gets uh, it's funding from the government. If you want to do like a massive project where your black metal band plays in the opera with a, you know, with a choir, for example, then it's easier to get support for that if you're a black metal band, because it's now seen as this <laughs> proud Norwegian export. Wow. I, and there's where, there, there yeah. there's yeah, there's no such thing for if you're like a death metal band or a, or a hardcore band. It's it's not the same thing. It, people don't have the same sense of we're good at this in no here in Norway, you know. And the, it, it, it kind of used to be that, uh, like the the government funding that uh, Snowden mentioned uh, is um, uh, it's it's I mean I mean it's it's a very good thing. Like you know, you can actually apply for for to get money to to do music, uh, even though you're you're not necessarily making that much money, but. Uh, uh, earlier, like uh, back in the days, if you go 20 years back, uh, there was this joke that if, if you didn't play jazz, then you wouldn't get any funding. But mm. now it's more like if you don't play black metal, <laughs> you won't get any funding. Wow. Yeah, but, uh, so so in that sense, there is like a separation between like people who play that kind of music or who are at least associated with that scene in some way and everyone yeah, else. Yeah. I guess the uh, that's right. I guess the association is more important than uh, actually playing black metal. Yeah, you can see that from like you can see that from 
if you look at like Norwegian award music award shows, for example, as well, there's a, it's heavily dominated by people who are either used to play black metal or play black metal or are associated with that scene. Mm. Wow, very interesting. I feel like not in every aspect of what you're saying, but I feel like there are some parallels there to uh, hip hop music uh, here in New York and in the United States. And where it, it started out as a very countercultural thing with punk rock and heavy metal back in the 70s and early 80s, and now is way more regarded as a, as like a like you said a cultural export of a pop culture phenomenon. Whereas metal and punk maybe are kind of I think left behind in that regard. Mm, right. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well. And you know, I I was gonna forget you, you mentioned the Norwegian Music Awards. Um, I had to, I had to bring this up because I'm I'm actually a big fan of Execration. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, who are uh, they're I, I guess they're winners of what of what the Norwegian equivalent to our Grammy Awards would be. They've they've won awards. Um, I, yeah, they've won. Yeah, I know they won awards. Uh, that's a couple of years ago, I guess, or maybe more. But uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's you, a, that's a good plan. didn't you actually do a guest appearance um, on their album uh, Syndicate of Lethargy in 2000? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Do you want to just talk? I mean, are those guys friends or you just happen to work together or what's the story? Yeah, they're uh, they're friends. I mean, I don't see uh, I haven't seen those guys for ages, but uh, we did uh, we did several shows back in the day with the Execration, and uh, we hung out for a bit. Um, actually, with both Execration and this other Oslo-based band called Discord, which is still yes. going as well. Yes. Which is yeah. an ex- excellent band. Uh, kind of, if you're into like you know atheist to demolic autopsy, that kind of is just a mix of that. Um, so um, so yeah, and then they asked me if I wanted to uh, come in and do vocals on on one of the songs. Uh, I can't remember when or how that happened, but um, it was probably uh, after a show or something like that. But uh, I was happy to do that. I I, I really love love those guys. It's uh, it's a cool band. Okay, yeah, I just want to touch on that a little bit. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I don't want to do you guys a disservice because obviously the reason, um, one of the reasons we've brought you on in a timely fashion is you have, as you mentioned, just recently released your album Succession, uh, your brand new mm-hmm. album. Um, and one thing I got, like I said, you guys did an interview with Dreams of Consciousness podcast. Um, uh, shout out to him, who I use as research, uh, that interview. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about, this is something I really liked using different types of production styles um, and maybe being influenced by how in pop music in from track to track on an album they might use different production styles or even change genre to express the song the best where you don't normally see that in heavy metal um, I really wanted to explore that a little bit with you guys and how that relates to your new album mm-hmm. Snooder, you want to yeah. emphasize? Yeah, well <clears throat> For me, I for me it doesn't make sense that if you if you play a song that is more like doom influenced, and then you have a song that is more, let's say, black metal influenced, it doesn't make sense to me, like just from a production perspective, to use the same uh, setup for those two songs. 
because you're trying to achieve like different sounds. And this is something that is rarely done in metal, as far as I know. I, I, I will admit that I don't, I don't spend as much time checking out new bands as I used to. But uh, for me, this it just seems natural. That's what everyone else, like outside of metal, this is what everyone else does. Like if you if you are a pop artist and you're doing like a ballad, then you don't use the same sounds as when you're doing your you know upbeat dance track. So why would you do that if you are a guitar-based band? That was sort of the idea. Of course, it makes so much sense. And I was thinking about it before, and I think, like, now here's something. Maybe the reason some metal bands don't do that could be because they're anticipating um, touring and performing all that material live. And, you know, you can't necessarily switch switch out the different instruments and the sounds live as frequently. Do you think that that might, might have come out of your, your desire to be more of a studio musician? Uh, maybe, but, like, I always felt that, um, well, you know, a lot of metal... Nowadays, of course, it's a bit different because a lot of people are much better players than they used to be. Like if you watch like an extreme death metal band 20 years ago, uh, they would still use real amps and they would use, you know, some sort of rudimentary triggers on the drums and it would just sound like, you know, a, a hairdryer huh. in the concert. Huh. Now it's different, you know, just from people being a lot more people are very, very technically skilled these days and also you know, the gear that you can use on stage now, you know, you can make things sound like a studio recording almost if you want to. But I think it mostly came, it came partially from that, I guess. We didn't really think about playing live. We just thought about how, how do we make this, for example, here we have this sort of doomy sounding song. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, a lot of space between each drum hit maybe we should use a bigger drum that has like, you know, longer sustain. It just made more sense to do it that way. And also, uh, from my perspective, I I really like, when I listen to albums, um, I really like this sense of recognizing, you know, in, if you listen to like Master of Puppets or, you know, any kind of classic metal album, if you listen to uh, you know, Burn My Eyes, or if you listen to Far Beyond Driven, or like, or if you listen to, for example, I remember an album that I used to listen to loads when I was, you know, like in my late teens, was Destroy the Opposition, the Dying Fetus album. Yes, yes. And so when you listen to that album, you immediately recognize that sound. Like there aren't any other albums that has that like exact drum sound, for example, a guitar sound. So I really like that. I really like that you turn on an album and you you hear that, okay, this is that drum sound or this is that guitar sound. No other albums have this sound. So we wanted to try to, or I as a producer, at least wanted to use the room that we recorded in and the drum kits that we recorded with and the amps that we recorded with in this way that that's what that sounded like in the room and no one has that exact room and no one has that exact gear. Whether or not that's like the greatest sound in the world or not is... You know, besides the point, but if someone would would really like this album and enjoy that album and listen a lot to it, they would listen to it in 10 years and they would recognize the sound as ours. Wow, fair enough, man. That, that makes me think of classic albums like um, 
Cryptopsy's None So Vile. Or, yeah, exactly. Um, that album as well. Yeah. No, no albums. Like, if you when you listen to the drums on that album, nothing yeah. sounds like that. Of course. Or, for better or for worse, Obscura by Gorguts. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. people... I, yeah, I, I, awesome. I enjoy the album. Some people, you know, the production's a little... It's a, uh, um, acquired taste sometimes. Yeah, it is. Like, actually, like, for me, there's... I'll give you an example. I'll be quick. Like, when I was a kid, I... I remember the, you know, Pearl Jam's album 10, when that came out. Of course. I thought that was awesome. I was like 10 years old when that came out, I think, or nine or whatever. And I got my dad to buy me the CD and I listened to it so much. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that album, how it sounds, but it has this horrible, horrible reverb on the drums. <laughs> like it's 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 basically a classic rock album, but then it has this, you know, Def Leppard reverb on the drums. <laughs> and then they and they because this is you know such a popular album they had uh, they re-released it like a few years back and they had it remixed because the band has apparently been super unhappy about this uh, about that reverb uh, and I listened to it I listened to that remix and it sounded like it sounded fantastic I mean it sounded amazing but it didn't have that reverb so for me it was just it sounded wrong because that reverb that was the sort of space that I entered as a kid when I listened to that music, and it was gone now. Of course, yeah. So it sounds better now, but it's not the same. So, same thing if I would listen to Non So Vile. You know, that could, if they remix that album, now it would probably sound way, way better, but it won't have that feeling that it had when I first connected with it. Of course not, man. Yeah, well, I, that makes a lot of sense what you're talking about. Um, and if you want to go there to the, the early 90s, an album that I've kind of had in the back of my head ever since doing the research uh, and hearing you guys talk already about um, the idea of having a, a different production style for each song to suit it. Uh, not uh, not Pearl Jam 10, though, though I do know that album, but what about Stone Temple Pilots' um, sophomore album, Purple? That's an album that, that I think really uh, has a different production take on almost every song. Mm-hmm. It does, but I think one of the reasons why um, metal bands don't do this, I think partially it's just due to budgetary reasons. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if you record, like if you are a metal band and you're recording in a studio, you don't have like eight different drum kits. You have one drum kit. You have one good drum kit if you're lucky. And, you know, you have two days to do all the drums. And whereas like bands, like if you, for example, take Stone Temple Pilots, I don't know that particular album very well, but of course they had a massive budget and they, you know, they probably spent months recording it. Yeah. So if they wanted to use different setups on different songs, they could. For I remember reading about um, Mastodon, that album, The Hunter, with, with uh, Mike Elizondo producing. And I remember reading an interview with the drummer from Mastodon, and he talked about how they would use different drum kits on different songs just to suit the different tempos and stuff, and he talked about how happy he was that uh, they finally had the budget and resources to do that in the studio. And that always struck me as like, wow, metal bands actually don't, they never do this because of time and money. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Now... Could you get into specifically your new album, Succession, and maybe, um, I, I don't know if, if there's any unexpected production things you want to get into, 
uh, rec recording techniques. I know you talked a lot about recording with room mics to get the sound. I don't know if you just want to get into specifically what people might might be able to expect from that album in terms of um, very personalized production for each song. Uh, well, mainly we just we wanted to make it sound sort of we wanted to make it sound good, of course, as good as possible, but to make it sound also uh, quite organic. When I tend to like the sound, I'm just speaking from my own perspective as a producer, but I know that Anish agrees with me on this, so I, I think I can speak for him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when you listen to an album like, for example, Human by Death, that album sounds amazing for its time. But it sounds amazing because the drummer was amazing, the guitar players were, all the musicians were amazing, and they recorded with great instruments in a great room. That's why it sounds like that. So there isn't, of course, there's nothing wrong with using samples and using, you know, all sorts of uh, plugins and stuff. I do that too when I work on all kinds of other productions. But we figured, wouldn't it be fun to just try to do everything as as naturally as possible? So we avoided using samples on this album. Everything that you hear on the album is played in that room. There's very little editing drum uh, done on the drums. Uh, Everything you hear is like if there's if there's a room is if there's a reverb on the snare it's the room it's not an actual reverb it's it's the sound of the room it was recorded in every and if there's a delay or an effect on a guitar it's it's a pedal so everything was like tracked as if it's it was recorded very very close to the final sound which is you know it makes it sound in sound in one sense that it, I guess maybe it makes it sound less like a modern metal record. Huh. But, but for me, it's fun to listen to as a producer because I can hear, oh, you know, that's that amp, or oh, that's that guitar, or oh, that's that pedal that broke down halfway through the recording. That's why it sounds like that, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's almost injecting some soul back into the um, the recording. Not not to knock any mm -hmm. other modern metal band, but when you talk about the modern metal production, what comes to my mind is that stereotypical kind of sterile. Line, you know, um, what is it? Line six, uh, you know, and and like overly triggered, quantized drums, you know, every mm, blast, mm. blast beat for every single riff, no variation, and you know, which every once in a while you want that, but there's a sea of bands doing that nowadays. Well, yeah, exactly. but yeah, there, there is, but I don't have like I like I listen to a lot of those bands, and some of those things they sound amazing from a technical perspective, even though they might have been done with you know, samples or even program drums and whatever. But it's just, for me, it's just not that fun to, it's not really fun to work in that way, you know? And, and since this is, we're doing this band because it's fun for us. You know, we have no real, <laughs> well, again, I think I can speak for everyone. We, we don't really have any ambitions with this band beyond just making music that we enjoy ourselves. And therefore the process itself should also be fun. And it's not, it's not really fun to record drums in this way where you put triggers everywhere and then you edit everything for like weeks and then you replace everything with samples and then you record DI guitars and use plugins and edit. It's just not fun. For me, it's not fun at, at least. Yeah. But the way we did this album, the way we recorded it now was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the process. Mm. And that's kind of half of, for us, for the listeners, it's different, of course, but for us as a band, that was, you know, that's a big part of the experience of making an album. Okay, man, and I thought it was very interesting because 
Now, I don't want to label you guys like a, a quote-unquote internet band or something like that because um, it just happens that a, a few of the members live abroad and you, you have to coordinate things differently nowadays. But mm-hmm. a, a lot of bands in your situation, I think, might take advantage of computer software for guitar effects and, um, you know, quantizing or just, you know, programming drums to begin with or something like that. It's almost like you guys mm-hmm. are taking the hard road on purpose in that respect. <laughs> Well, I, I guess it's because uh, uh, since us notices uh, we're this band, we're doing it uh, because we think it's fun to write the music and to actually even listen to our own music. Like we're writing this music for ourselves first and foremost. And um, since we have that opportunity with Notice Studio, uh, why wouldn't we? Of course, if if the situation was different, I'm pretty sure that we would. We wouldn't be able to. I mean, we we wouldn't be able to afford renting a different studio for for uh, an extended period of time to figure out different sounds and stuff like that. But it's it's we have that opportunity, and then we should use it. All right. Um. And and uh, Snort, Any before we move on, any um. Just closing thoughts, or, or anything else you wanted to express about the production of your new album in particular? No, no I mean, you know, I'm a producer, so I can talk about this stuff for ages because it's interesting for me. But I don't think it's very interesting for for anybody else. So unless you have any questions specifically, then uh, no, I don't think so. Well, let's well, let's get into this. Unfortunately, my co-host is, isn't here, and he he is the guitarist. But let's just talk about it because you you do mention that your any guitar sound on the album is a sound that you've achieved with pedals and it's very close to what the what the original sound you got was what are, what's some of the gear used on succession what are some of the pedals amps what are some things that maybe people might not realize unless you point it out let's get into that mm, well i remember we used like i think we used four different like in my in my studio we have eight drum kits like full drum kits and we have like a huge amount of snares and I think we used like four of those I think we used four of those drum kits and like a bunch of different snares like for the for the more sort of blast beaty black metal songs we used this um, old Tama kit from the early 80s uh, because it just has that well it has that 80s sort of sort of barky sound which sound to me it sounds very cool for that style of music uh, whereas for one, at least for one of the very sl- the slower songs, this um, "Eyes Go Pale," uh, we used uh, a Ludwig. We used actually this Zeppelin kit, like it's a Ludwig uh, drum kit from the 70s, which has this massive 26 by 14 or 20, 26 by 16. I don't remember, but it's this big kick drum. So we used that with a full front head, which is something that you wouldn't normally use for. For metal, because you know it has this just gigantic sound and like a lot of decay, and it won't really fit into a lot of metal songs. But it really fit into that one. And we used uh, we used so many different amps and guitars. I used a lot of Fenders. I used the Jazzmaster on a lot of the songs. And for the like for the downtuned songs, I I only have one guitar that I can use for sort of downtuned music, and I bought it for this album because I didn't have any. And it's a Gibson baritone, like it's a Gibson Les Paul baritone, uh, which I tuned down to drop A, and that's the one that I used, I think, on all the down to material. So yeah, it's like loads of different. I think I used, 
I think I also used six or seven different apps for the for the different songs. Wow. Any uh, any keyboards, synthesizers, things like that? Yeah, I used uh, I used an old uh, Roland Juno 106 for a lot of the sort of black metalish synths, and I used the Korg M1 for that for that uh, Emperor Choir sound on a few wow. of the songs. I love it. I love it. That's hard, man. That's cool. All right. I, I, I knew I heard some cool sounds out of there. See, this is great because people might listen to that album in this day and age, especially people who don't have a background in audio production and think that it's all something you're getting out of a computer program. You know what I mean? And to, to listen mm-hmm. to it with that knowledge now, like I want to go back and listen to the album, know, you know, knowing all this that you've explained. Um and well, I mean, obviously, just sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but obviously yeah. I've recorded this album, like, it is digitally recorded, and of course I've mixed everything in Pro Tools, and so it is, I am using uh, digital tools, but I use them as uh-huh. little as possible, just because for my own personal satisfaction, I want to hear what I heard in that room on that day. So yeah, that's what I wanted, sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 of course, man, and this, yeah, this is uh, more about hearing you than me. But um, but yeah, that's what I mean. Just to actually get those uh, those you know the the Korg uh, and and the um the Roland instruments and it's it's cool, man. I I appreciate it, and it's um it makes it a little bit more palatable to me as a listener. Um, it gives it that depth. Uh, now I I feel like we've just to be respectful of your time. Um, as as we wind down, I feel like we've covered a lot about your new album, Succession. Um, before we get into asking you guys to recommend some music and close out, is there just any um, uh, anything about the new album, anything you wanted to talk about in terms of the promotion or um, uh, to, to speak to uh, potential fans and listeners about this new album, Succession? I believe it was, it was independently released? It's released uh, through uh, a small independent label, yeah, called uh, Maschina Recordings, which is, uh, it's actually the guitar player in Beaten to Death that runs that label. So, okay. so yeah, we're, we're kind of keep, keeping it close. Um, and uh, for now, it's been, re- it's, it's been released digitally and we're kind of waiting for... Uh, we're gonna print. We're gonna press vinyl first, and then I guess other physical formats as well, because uh, quite a lot of people have started asking about physical formats, and it's just uh, there's this huge backlog in uh, in pressing plants on, uh, on vinyl pressing plants across the world right now. Yeah. Uh, because of the pandemic, I'm sure that you're familiar with this, um, and so are pro- probably your listeners. Um, and uh, but that's not only the only reason why we have this delay. It's um, when we kind of decided to uh, to do a vinyl, um, we realized that the the album was a bit too long for a single a single vinyl. So, but it was a bit too short for a double. Oh no! So we de- so we decided to record more music. Uh, <laughs> And that has taken a bit of time. Uh, so it, the like the side D on on the vinyl version of this album will be one uh, approximately 15 minute long song, which is it's actually a continuation of the EP that we re- re- released in 2012. So it's kind of a uh, volume two, Fast and the Furious volume two of uh, the Bleeding Fiction uh, EP, uh, and that's what what has taken taken a bit of time actually to just to get everything together like 
And for the, for that song, I had to record it. I I wasn't able to travel to Lithuania, so I had to record the vocals there in Oslo and just send them over to Snorja. So all of this took a bit of time, but but uh, uh, it's going to be available through our Bandcamp uh, within probably half a year, I guess. Okay, um, so, that, so yeah. that, that, that's interesting then. All right, uh, 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 Snorja, sorry not to interrupt you. Hmm? Uh, just, just any um, any final thoughts you might want to express on your new album, Succession? Um, and, and, you know, just for the promotion. Oh yeah, same question. No, no, I, 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 you dropped out for a second, so I, I thought sorry. you asked me something. No, I, no, nothing actually. I would have mentioned that vinyl release, but Anish already spoke about it. So I, I think I'll, I'm actually in the process of mixing that right now. So, um, so yeah. Okay. I, I I hope it's going to come out soon, but uh, Onish is in charge of all of that. Okay, and people can check for um, the usual uh, social medias and on Bandcamp uh, for for all your stuff. And mm. I I would just ask, we appreciate your time. Before we close out, just like all of our guests, we ask you to recommend one older album and one newer album by any artist. Doesn't have to be uh, extreme metal, or it could be. Um, and just that that question to both of you. Okay, so Nore, you want to start? No, absolutely yeah. not. Because no, I have to think now. <laughs> okay. so, you, you better okay, start. Let's see. Uh, I'll think. Um, for the older album, I I kind of have this kind of pool of older albums that I pull out of the hats uh, when I get a question like that. Um, let's see. It would let's see. I have a couple different. Well, what? Yeah, one uh, one I think is really good uh, that I. I think a lot of people haven't heard uh, is one that I discovered back in, I don't know which year it's from, I think it's from 94, if that is old enough. Um, uh, and I discovered it through tape trading in 96, and it was this Australian band called Damaged. Uh, and they had an album called Do Not Spit. Huh. This is uh, an extreme metal band, uh, but what struck me as very special with that band was that um, they kind of uh, they were like early contenders of, of mixing extreme metal genres like it's uh, there's a lot of grindcore on there but also like more like death style classic uh, death metal bit of hardcore and it's just super intense and I also thought at least when I was 16 I thought the production was amazing uh, uh, but that might have been because most of the stuff I got through tape trading back then sounded like shit. But uh, but this is an album I, I keep coming back to, and actually, yeah, I, I just discovered that it's it's uh, available on most streaming platforms again, and it, ha it hasn't been that for ages. So uh, damaged with do not spit. That's my uh, classic album. It's super good metal album if you like if you're into fairly extreme music um for a newer one hmm. i think i'm gonna wind down a bit uh like if i i check out a lot of extreme music all the time like i listen to i listen to heavy music throughout the day while while working and stuff so in the evening when i've i've i'm kind of fed up with blast beats i uh, I like to wind down with this album that came out in the beginning of 2021, uh, which is uh, 
kind of like an uh, partly electronic, partly um, uh, analog instruments. Uh, it's it's uh, a, co a collaboration between this uh, electronic artist Floating Points and the jazz uh, sax player uh, Pharoah Sanders. Oh. And uh, they've done this album together with the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, and I think it's, I, I don't think really has any title uh, outside of that. It's just floating points for Owen Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra. It's such a beautiful album. I, I would say it's probably one of the best albums that have been released this year. Um, if you're uh, into, you know, like just super mellow, but still quite complex, quite dreamy music, that's uh, something you should check out. Wow, that sounds interesting, man. That does sound interesting, doesn't it? There's nowhere for me to go now. <laughs> <laughs> like everything I say will sound stupid in comparison. Now, uh, <laughs> you probably have some old slam album or something to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I was, uh, yeah, I was listening to Internal Bleeding today, actually, which I used to listen to loads before. But uh, if I, if I was gonna recommend one old album. Uh, I would probably recommend uh, "Time Heals Nothing" by Crowbar. Wow! It's like one of my, it's one of my all-time favorite albums. That album just completely changed my view on heavy music. It's, in my opinion, that's the heaviest album ever. Wow! I I could see your reasoning. Yeah, because it's just and like a, yeah. Fun fact: that's I mean, Crowbar has also been. A huge influence on She Said Destroy. Yeah, like yeah, on the, a lot of our, our slower stuff uh, and a lot of the riffs that I I've I've ri uh, written has, uh, has been uh, heavily influenced by Crowbar. Yeah, like the there's one song on uh, there's one song on the new album called Ruin, which for me it's just that was just us trying to write a Crowbar song basically. <laughs> Because, because like that album is so underrated. I love that album. It's amazing. Everyone should listen to that. And it also, it has the best, it has the best sort of heavy drumming on any album. Just the feel of that drummer on that album is insane. So that that's my classic album. Good one. Uh, good one. Good yeah, one. that is a. And uh, for a new album, I don't know. Like, what have I? I would probably, I listened loads to Coulter Wall recently, which is, he's a country artist. Uh, so here's an album called Songs of the Plains. It's from 2018. Is that new enough? Uh, yeah. And, and what, is, yeah, okay. this, what is the guy's name? Coulter, I'm, I'm obviously not pronouncing this correctly, but it's his oh, name Coulter is Coulter Wall. Coulter Wall, yeah. Coulter yeah, he's, Wall. Okay. he's great. Okay. Yeah, he's amazing. All right, we'll that, that, that is such, yeah, he's... He's such a cool uh, country artist, actually. Like, yeah. I, I think like the first album he released or the first EP that came out, it's not that long ago. I would say no, like, he's like six six years ago or something. And he was like seventeen when that came out. And it sounds like he's sixty five years old and drinks and smokes a lot. <laughs> uh, he, he, yeah, that's uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's a cool recommendation. I've been listening loads to that album recently. Like, I. I rarely listen to metal. If I do listen to metal, it's black metal. <laughs> these because it's winter and I live in Eastern Europe, so like, what can you listen to? I have to listen to black metal. But 
but uh, most of the time I listen to something completely different. And this album is amazing and it's, uh, well, it has like a really nice mood because as I understand this album was recorded live so you can like, it sort of feels like you're sitting in the middle of all these musicians playing those songs. So if anyone who's listening to this metal podcast happens to be into old school country music, then this is the album for you. Well, there, there might be more of a crossover than, than you think, man. Um, we, we actually, we've interviewed a few artists from the South, uh, and when we asked that musical family question, more, um, more often than not, uh, the last few months, we've, we've gotten people whose family were playing bluegrass music and traditional music. So there's, right, right. Yeah, you never know, man. Things, things meet in the middle more than you think, man. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Uh, all right, there's so... A- there's a shocking amount of country influences in that uh, new long track that's going to be on that vinyl. Interesting. Is is that just now? I mean, obviously that's a thing you're into, but is is uh, American or I should say American influenced country music a big thing in your in your part of uh, Europe or or in Norway or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In Norway, yeah. Uh, sure. Actually, I think like um, you have a lot of influences from American country music and also from uh, Americana from that kind of more like um, I don't know I guess that would be even more f- folky I guess I, I'm not that into but uh, there, there, uh, there's a huge uh, it's a huge scene in uh, in Norway the problem uh, there is absolutely that they're just the problem we have of course is that we have these you know, the way that we speak English is pretty hilarious and so it's the same <laughs> as when Norwegians sing in English you can you know it does not you know one thing is to sing in English if you're a metal band but if you're wearing a cowboy hat and you're singing in English and you have the accent that I'm speaking with right now it just doesn't work mm. so so that that's why you've never heard of any of those artists but it is really popular in Norway wow and that that's why it's better to uh, to growl yeah <laughs> no one can hear how <laughs> bad you're no one can hear how terrible our English is. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, that, that, that's that's interesting though to me though, man, because we talked, um, we we talked to Vulture Thrust, the singer of Overthrust, a death metal band from Botswana, uh, Africa. What? Okay, yeah. Cool. They've been like uh, Vice has covered them, and they've you know they've been out there in the press a little bit. But I interviewed him last year. And they have a whole thing. You can look this up on YouTube. In Botswana, Africa, they have a heavy metal scene where people kind of dress like heavy metal cowboys. And cowboy culture, like, intersects. But the way he explained it to me is they actually have, like, a tradition going back generations of actual, like, cattle rearing. So So the cowboy hats and the stirrups, it's not, like, so crazy. It's just, like, it's just interesting that it happened all the way over there, you know? (laughs) I need to check this band out. Yeah. Overthrust from Botswana. Overthrust, Africa. okay. Yeah. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. yeah. Brutal death metal band. Yeah, definitely. We we interviewed nice. him. Uh, we interviewed the lead singer uh, a while mm. ago, man. Shout out to them. But yeah, all right. So that's just interesting, man. When the kind of country cowboy thing pops up elsewhere in the world, to me. Mm. Um, all right, man. But uh, I've been. Um, uh, you guys have been generous enough of your time, and I've been greedy enough of your time. So I, I appreciate you, uh, Anders and Snorri from uh, She Said Destroy. Anders, I also mentioned your band Beaten to Death that people can check mm. out on all the social media and on Bandcamp. Um, I'll just let each of you guys take a turn. Uh, parting words for fans of your music and listeners of our show. Hmm. Well, uh, to the three people that listen to us, uh, thank you so much. Uh, 
And to the listeners of this podcast, uh, go check us out on Bandcamp. Uh, I would actually, I, I think you'd actually enjoy it. Snoda? Well, uh, I would maybe just like to thank you for hosting us on this uh, podcast. And you, you know, really prepared. I can hear that you prepared really well to ask us these questions, and you've been very. Your questions were really interesting, so so thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Um, of course, and I, I do enjoy that new album. I'm going to enjoy re-listening to it now with all the stuff you told me about, the kind of behind-the-scenes of it. Um, and we're going to keep an eye out for that. Um, I guess we we might be able to call it like a deluxe edition or whatever you call it when mm-hmm. the, when the uh, vinyl comes out with the extra music. Um, so we'll be on the lookout for all of that from She Said Destroy. Um, and you guys have a, a great evening. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you, you so very much, man. Bye-bye. As if it's a fucking script. No. This podcast is so much fun. Speaking to international guests. I love fun all the time. Yes. The esteemed band, she said, destroy. So much fun. No, we're, we're being facetious, man. We cut, we cut a little uh, uh, little intro where I said, I don't like fun. Yeah, and I forgot to record it. Because yeah, no, the, I computer, was... the computer's fun, so it didn't even... It's like that, the, the, what's the techno band? LMF, the guy was the, with the hair, Artie... Party rock guys. LFO. I look. The I don't Chinese like, food. I don't, I don't know. like the music, but they seem like fun guys. They certainly do. They seem like they would liven up the situation if I was depressed. Let's well, fun. Okay, I think that's what um, LFO stands for. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just for a little while. Like I might want them to get the party started and then not stay for the party. Right. Hire them for forty-five minutes. That's too much. Right too much. There. Too much. You think? The, the like the two hit songs that they play at all the bar mitzvahs and weddings. Mm. And then and then they leave, but they kind of like they do the little Irish goodbye while like me and the girls and everybody are getting like dancing and doing fun stuff, and the bottles are popping, and my friends are in the camera like a rap video, and like LMFAO just kind of sees their way out, right? Ties yeah. the hair back, you know what I mean? Like that's get the part. That's that's how you get the party started and not drag it out, right? Uh, invite people for short amounts of time. Yeah, just like we did. With our esteemed guests. Oh my God! You see the segue? I'm doing. I'm in a tuxedo in a hip hop video on a. I'm like P Diddy doing the P Diddy dance. Right Sometimes now. you don't see it. Yeah, and it's it's the missing it that uh, is so astonishing of the segue. Yeah, yeah. I got to point it out every time. Something else I got to point out every time, Tom. Our voicemail line. Why don't you give that a call, listeners? Six three one eight three seven. 3274. Blanked oh, for a second there. Yeah. But the number stands, okay? Give He's us a call. He still got it, just well, like I still got it, right? Let us know if you're angry about something, if an album came out that sucks, mm. if you bought uh, a, a thing that was supposed to be metal and it doesn't fit, like a t-shirt, like so many of my stories that I don't tell. Unless it's some sort of adapter or something you bought for the cassette for the car that we yeah. talked about last week. I'm not... I'm not responsible for what you do. No, we're still waiting to hear about that. Yeah, so, uh, give us some feedback. I hope that worked out for you. 
Yeah. Uh, so let us know. Also, go to patreon.com slash heavyholepodcast. Mm, love it. Yeah, we've got, we got bonus content. episodes. We've got some doing a little thing on the little brutal evil death metal, doing a little thing on the regional death metal. we got some bonus stuff out there, man. It's nice. We got, we're working on something for the holiday season coming up. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. And all that fun stuff. You yeah. Know I mean? Come on. Yes, yes. Santa Claus is coming to town with a big package of heavy hole podcasts bonus for you i i, I don't i'm do all right call up the voicemail and let us know what you think about our new deliriously uh questionably psych psilocybic um banter on the podcast it has been odd yeah we're a little out there without justin where is justin by the way what's going on with him have you, have you have you talked to justin real talk uh yeah real talk i talked to him this weekend uh he is in freelance hell uh-huh. with a company that Basically asked him to do one thing, and then they had him do 30 things, and it was all due uh, on a due date that he was definitely not prepared for. Wow. Because he doesn't have uh, a little workforce for him. It's just one man doing a lot of videos. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. Sounds like, uh, I don't know, sounds like, like it, isn't he also planning a wedding? Yes, he's planning a wedding. Jeez, man. I can only imagine the, the amount of cigarettes that man is huffing down. Oh, huffing is a good term. In his yeah. panicked uh, state right now, trying to get all this stuff in order and settled. I, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be back next week, though. He's uh, From what he said, he is not taking any work for a couple weeks. No safe bets. Yeah, we'll see. No we'll, safe I bets. hope. I miss him very much. I all miss bets him dearly. Are off. All bets are off. Yeah. But I have been enjoying... His space being occupied by your dog. Shout, shout to Dahlia. Yeah, she's cute. No relation to Black Dahlia Murder the Band, right? Did you? Was that a thing? Uh, so, when I got this dog, it was with an ex-girlfriend, who uh, mm, ha- uh hairy situation. No pun intended. Well, when she we found her on the street, and uh, we were at we were having a we were having a couple a couple drinks later that day, and we're like, hey, we'll Celebrate keep this dog, dog yeah. right? And uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend, God bless her, she was. Um, she was into metal, as some women are. Mm, um, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, when their boyfriend likes it. Hey. And uh, th- and that was the band she was into. So I was like, yeah, we'll just call her that. So, oh. yes, it is related to Black Dahlia. And, okay. and, uh, and uh, I don't regret it one bit. No, shout Great to, dog, great band. Why hey, not? Shout to Trevor and the guys. Yeah. We see out there doing the... Doing a, uh, uh, Trevor does a nice service to, to underground death metal that obituarists. Is it obituarists? Yeah, I think it is obituarist. I, oh, it's a great list he comes up with, man. He's nah, he's on it, man. I, I like them guys, man. Um, I'm intimidated by his knowledge, if anything. Real nice guy. I, we've met him a few times, man. There was one time. There was allegedly one time that he and I had a little death metal demo knowledge retention uh, word off. Right. You know, but I, I don't want to get into all that. A 1993 pissing contest, I believe they're called. Yeah, it was it was <coughs> pissing in the snow. <coughs> Whoa, going to have to edit that one out. That was controversial. Coughing is controversial now. Is it now? Yeah, if you're at a show and you cough or you sneeze, like the, like the music stops. It's like, it's like oh, one of those right, movies right. where they pull the plug. Yeah, everyone's like, whoa, mask up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get the little... But if you're a smoker, you know what I mean? Allegedly. It's you know it can make things awkward, man. Yeah, it's that, a cool thing to do when you're smoking. Yet but. another reason to stay with the chocolate milk on deck. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Death metal vocalists. Uh, yeah, we more coming up soon. We have a, we have an upcoming guest that might want to shed some light on that too. But um, and uh, in other words, you, you know you can you can stay tuned for that another day. Tom talked about the Patreon episodes. Uh, I almost spilled some beans allegedly on the Black Dahlia tip. I had we you and I know things. We do know outside things. of the sphere. 
Um, so I'm just trying to go through my mind right now. We did the Patreon. We did the voicemail. You almost forgot the voicemail. Almost. Justin's not here, but we acknowledge that he's not here. Dog's name. Do you know how my cat got its name? Vernie? No. It's an Americanized uh, misnomer. It's, it's an Americanized version of Vern's. The last name of drummer Miko Vern's of Demolition. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's a sad, Deep cut. sad story. The cat Miko uh, passed away. Oh. That was, that was a little traumatic. He, yeah, he was in bad shape. I think he might have got hit by a car, crawled back to the club. <laughs> bad morning. Bad morning in my life. Glad I could vent it out with the heavy old listeners. Um, but Vern's, uh, Americanized to Vernie by my parents. The cat is still with us, man. Out there. Rat, rat catcher. A couple of years ago, they bulldozed down a bunch of trees in the property adjacent mm-hmm. to the house. And I think they knocked out a bunch of rat holes or something, man. The cats were catching two or three rats a day. It was nuts. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of wood rat. Yeah. yeah Luckily, those don't go in your house much. No, well, not with the cats around, man. No, but you the wood what? rats, they stay outside. We actually had a couple at uh, at the apartment. Take a little BB gun, get rid of them, because they're just terrible. Wow. Yeah. They're they're an invasive species. Try uh, to clean it up. We have a lot of bird feeds. A little. We have a lot of birds back there, so try to try to keep their space sacred. Well, you know, if you're if you come from farm folk, you know, out here in Long Island, like, we got we got the little vegetable garden back there, and yeah, you got the bird feed. You keep a little, maybe you keep a little manure on the side. You know what I mean? Keep a little chicken shit on the side. You know what I mean? You gotta lock that shit up, man. You know the vermin is real, man. Opened up the old. Uh, 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 my dad had a. Um, what do they call those? Like the tool cases, you know, like the. Um, with the craftsman one. Yeah, the craftsman, the big bin with all the different, you know, shells. Opened up yeah. the drawer the other day, and there was like a little mouse nest in one. Oh yeah, they, yeah. They, they get in, man. Yeah, I went inside. I shaved my beard because I was, I was, I was like, now it's time. They might be in. You know, I mean, it might one might have hopped out, hopped right in the beard. Right. I don't know until I'm recording heavy hole podcast. Now they're eating Tom's wires. It's I don't crazy. want them in here. Are these, I need these wires. All right. Listen, Tom, I know you need these wires, so I'm going to leave you alone with them. Heavy whole podcast, buddy. And uh, can we even say that we're down a, 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 a host now, or is it just the two of us? For now, we're still down one.